This is exactly right. Happy August, Wondery listeners. You are listening to the new premium bonus episode, Sitting Down with Dr. Dan. I am here once again with our awesome audio engineer and dad, Phil. What's up, everybody? How's it going, Phil? It's going great. Uh, it's going great. Here we are in August already after a fantastic July of just some great discussions and amazing guests. And yes. it's just the month went by fast. You know, summer is winding down. School is coming. It fall is. is coming. Mm-hmm. It's all coming. And uh, also what keeps coming is everyone's wonderful questions. We right. so appreciate them. Uh, everyone who submits to us, the DM on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, people email us at podcast at drdanpeters.com. And uh, we love receiving your messages. Yeah, we read all the emails, all the messages, and we're always getting some really great questions. And uh, this month's show is no exception. And I think with that, uh, why don't we go ahead and dive in? Because we do have some really, really fantastic questions, and I see some uh, great discussion coming out of this. So let's just get into it uh, with question number one. What is the best way for a parent with mental health struggles to not affect his or her children in the short and long term? Mm-hmm. So just that this individual is asking the question is huge. Yes. Because as we know, a word that is foundational to our show is awareness. And so when we do have awareness about ourselves, any kind of awareness, that only increases the possibility of us being able to be aware of our thoughts, our feelings, and our behavior, as well as how they impact our kids. So that first step is just being aware. So obviously this listener is, and this is a a really important question. We have to remember that humans are human and there's a whole continuum of human behavior and human emotion. And when it ticks to a certain level of challenge, that's usually when we call it a mental health issue or right. and or some diagnosis. Right. And when there is that issue or diagnosis, it means that the challenge does cause some level of significant challenge or what we say impairment in our lives, whether it's our ability to do our day-to-day tasks, go to work, be a parent, um, at times take care of ourselves. So the number one thing that, besides being aware, that parents can do is seek help, seek treatment, address it. So there is no shame in mental health challenges. It's very common. It's very common, particularly these days. And again, we don't have to be perfect for our kids. So if you have your medical provider, your licensed therapist, your licensed psychologist, or any of the other alternative fields uh, of um, acupuncture, 
uh, yoga, like any sort of guide, mentor, um, healing that you're doing, you are helping you're, you're, you're helping the, um, prevent some of the negative impacts that can come from mental health issues and how they, how they play out. Now, the other thing is talking to your kids, depending on what age they are. It is, we always want to find the balance of giving our kids enough information, but right. not too much information to right. cause them confusion, concern, anxiety. And so to say, Hey, Mom, mommy or daddy or is having a is having a tough day or I don't have a lot of energy today or um I might need to rest a little more today or you know it, it's okay to to talk to them in a way that they understand the reality that is happening with them and around them because I know sometimes parents want we want to shield our kids from some of the pain or some of the um of the worry mm -hmm. however if our kids say hey mom dad like what's wrong and we say nothing but clearly something is that can actually erode trust and and yeah. the kids can be less secure and more anxious because they know something's up and it doesn't make sense to them right right and also in 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 the at the same time you know you're modeling this behavior of not sharing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we're talking about a long-term impact, uh, this could become a learned behavior. And when our kids are struggling, as we all invariably will at some point in our lives, uh, they may be less apt to open up to you about it or open up to anyone else about it and go to that stock answer, oh, I'm fine, nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. And yes, and this makes me also think of uh, some substance abuse issues and addiction, mm. um, which can go hand in hand with the mental health issues at times. It, it's also, we're modeling for our kids. So if we do have, are having challenges with substance abuse and addictions and it changes our behavior and it impacts our behavior, it is like the best thing you can do again is address it and talk to your kids, particularly your older, um, older kid, middle school, high school kids mm -hmm. about your struggle and what you're working on. Because if there's addiction in the family, as there is in many families, it is really important that your middle schoolers and high schoolers know about this because they will have a higher likelihood of, of that addiction pull and right. again, addiction yeah. is not, it, it's something that is very real. And some people's bodies can metabolize um, alcohol and substances at a different level than others, um, absorb it, tolerate it. And people who have that in their family need to know, especially the young folks who start to experiment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then just to, to you know, take it back to your comment in terms of, you know, humanizing, right, mental health challenges, but also humanizing ourselves as parents, right? So, and of course, this is, you know, when your children reach a certain age, like you said, middle school, high school, you know, being sort of aware of where they are in terms of their, you know, emotional intelligence can be sort of that guide you know your kids right so that'll mm -hmm. be the guide of to what level that you share 
Um, but one sharing is only going to build that bond of trust. Uh, it's going to, like you said, negate any, I mean, there, let's face it, there will be some, surely some anxiety. No child likes to see their, their parent struggling, but again, they are not creating the narrative themselves. You're giving them the information and information does tend to lead to peace of mind. Uh, so again, you know, I am 100% agreement that sharing, you know, the appropriate level of information is going to go a long way, both in mm -hmm. the short term um, yeah, and in the long term. And just to say that, you know, it's, it's okay. You yeah. know, to, to our, to the, our submitter of this question, it's okay. It's okay to struggle. And mm -hmm. uh, by sharing what it, to whatever level you're comfortable sharing with your kids, mm -hmm. um, it's okay. And yeah. it's going to make it again, a team effort, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not putting it on their shoulders, but you know, it's at, they will want to be involved in your life, in your life yes. and want to know what's going on in yes. your life. And in turn, that'll come back to you in dividends when they, when they need you. Absolutely. And for all parents, for all issues, uh, feel something you just said triggered this, which is, when kids don't have an explanation for their reality, they make up their own. And most of the time, their explanation and narrative is worse than the actual reality, yes. which is why yeah, we want 100%. to give them the reality so they have something that they can, um, they, can, they can think about and try to understand instead of having to create these worst case scenarios. Right. Absolutely. And then... And then just another thought that occurred to me too, while you seek you know, therapy, counseling for yourself, uh, always a good idea to consider the same uh, for your kids, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. Have, a, have a guide through this as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that being vulnerable with um, your child's or family therapist or counselor, um, which is, you know, I'm, I'm struggling and this is the impact it's having on me. This is the impact it's having on the family. And I'd like my child to have some support with this. Um, that, is, that is as healthy as it gets. Absolutely. And you'll find, too, that it will take some of that sense of burden off of your shoulders, like you're carrying the weight of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Knowing that your child is with a good counselor that knows what's going on will take some of that pressure off of yourself so you can... Also focus on your healing journey because at the end of the day, you know, you need to be healthy mm -hmm. for your kids. Yeah. Great question. Great question. Okay. Question number two, how do I talk to my tween teen kids about birth control? Mm-hmm. So... You do. You talk to them. Okay, so so let's take a step back. So this great because we do need to talk to them yeah, about this, yeah. particularly with what's going on um, in our world or our country with Roe v. Wade. Um. So the first thing is we need to be able to talk to them about um, sexual intimacy and different types of sexual intimacy mm -hmm. and what they're likely to experience and feelings that they're likely to have that might be yeah. confusing or might be not confusing, um, that what they're going to be hearing, particularly in middle school, of 
types of sexual um, acts and different ways that people engage sexually because we have a very experimenting um, culture that happens at younger ages, which is interesting. Yes. Actually, the research yeah. is also showing at the same time uh, teenagers are also waiting longer and longer for their first experience. So we're seeing like two, both parts of the bell curve, right? Like yeah, a spike right. in young experimentation and also people um, through um, education and conversation and their own values yeah. waiting longer as well. Yeah. So we have to start with with that in terms of the background of why we would even be talking about um, birth control. Right. Yeah. And ideally, again, everyone's family is different. We're trying to do this in a non-shaming way, in a human biological instinct way. Like we all have a drive um, and we all have hormones and there are going to be situations where um, there's going to be temptations and some of them um, will, we want to, you know, emphasize con consensual experiences and when they don't feel comfortable to remove themselves from right. a situation. Um, in a couple of recent episodes, uh, our guests have highlighted the importance of, of course, we always talk about um, how to talk to our daughters, but how also important it is to talk to our sons Yeah, this, on the other side of it. Um, and then you talk about the different types of birth control. And um, what I've appreciated um, in our family, my wife being a nurse, um, which I know runs in your family as well, yes, Phil, it um, yes, it's, it it's really been helpful, the explanation when I hear her talking to the kids or have in the past about it in a very neutral, biological, yeah. I mean, not sterile way, but right. sort of like this is, this is being human and these are the aids that we have to be able to make good choices. And there are pros and cons to all the different types of contraception and birth control um, as they affect your hormones, um, different ways that um, they are, um, that you either ingest them or they're implanted in your body. And it's just really about sex ed. Or, you yeah. know, as we used to call it, sex ed. I, I, right. There's got to be a better it's, name for it right now. Uh, what do they uh, call it? Health life, education. I think life. It's life and family education. LFE, I believe it is. Or Much FLE, better. Family life education. That's it. Much yeah. better. Just dated, yeah, and, dated myself there. Yeah. And, and yep. you know, as, as my impression is, the school curriculum is, is pretty solid in mm -hmm. terms of the information that they deliver. Uh, but, of course... And even the schools state this is no substitute to having these conversations at home. And I think the key word right there is conversations. You're not lecturing your children on birth control. Uh, if that idea is anywhere in your head, it's not lecture. It's a conversation. Right. They should be encouraged to ask, ask questions. And then that will kind of normalize that conversation. If they feel like they are a participant, one, they're more likely to uh, be engaged and, and listen to the information uh, that you're sharing with them. Mm -hmm. And then also, it'll generate a certain level of comfort and trust as well. So when a time comes, when they do choose to begin to experiment, uh, you're more likely to have, you might not know all, all the details, but you'll have at least some idea of what's going on um, mm -hmm. in, your, in your child's life. You know, we had a show on this topic or related topic, I don't know, one or two years ago now. Mm -hmm. And what was what really struck with me is how the conversation about love and relationship 
they said it's basically not never too early. It's never too early to start that conversation because mm -hmm. that's the conversation that hopefully builds the foundation for talking about sexual intimacy right. and yeah. then contraception. But right. it's all based in relationship. And for our yes. kids early on to have for us to have conversations with them about, you know, what's a good friend and how um what do you do when you start to have feelings towards other people and how should we treat other people and how can yeah. we respect other people? So I thought it's really interesting of this long view approach. Yeah, I like that. I like that, that long view approach. And again, because you're setting that foundation, you know, and mm -hmm. you're kind of incrementally building that comfort talking about mm -hmm. those subjects. And, and again, as I mentioned earlier with the other topic, it will really pay back in dividends when you build that trust on in these areas that are you know traditionally seen as less comfortable to talk about with your parents is it ever going to be 100% comfortable for your kids to talk to you about this stuff probably not are you ever going to be 100% comfortable talking to your kids about this stuff probably not but then even in that you're sharing that experience as well and it's okay to kind of sit in that discomfort together and and you know treat it and treat them as they mature as is appropriate for their level of <laughs> maturity. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's, I think, you know, as a father of, of two, you know, teenage daughters, of course, we've had some of these conversations already, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, as they are kind of, my oldest is, is getting toward her, you know, mid to older teenage years. And so it's becoming more of a, more of a topic that we find to be important to make mm -hmm. sure that we have an open dialogue. And it doesn't just have to be a single conversation. Uh, there may be, you may find that there are conversational cues, you know, throughout your, your time with your kids mm -hmm. and, and take those opportunities, really listen to your kids and, and what they are asking you, or even just having casual conversation about, because again, if it comes up casually, uh, and my, you know, my wife, the girl stepmom is very good about this, taking a casual conversation hook and building in some very like valuable information mm -hmm. in a way that you don't even realize you're really having a conversation about something bigger. Totally. It's, it's, totally. it's impactful. Yeah. Okay. We are moving right along here with question number three. Uh, this is another great question. It is, is there a right or wrong way to tell our children various ages about our impending divorce? So part of me wants to say no, because there's things aren't black and white, but the other part of me, clinician wise and experience wise is, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there really, there really, there really is in terms of to the degree that you have control over it. So I want to say the caveat is, uh, well, we're going to talk about the ideal circumstances. And we know that yeah. not everyone has ideal circumstances. And what I mean by that is an ideal circumstance, the right way is a joint conversation with a shared narrative with from both parents to child or children. Um, sometimes that's done on a one-to-one -one child basis. Sometimes it's done on a family basis. It's really, you knowing your kids and you knowing the yeah. dynamics and the ages. Yeah. Um, so ideally it's a shared narrative and shared conversation. Um, and I know again, that's not always possible in some scenarios. 
The other thing to always remember is regardless of how well you do it, and regardless of how old a child is, most of the time they will still feel in some way, consciously or unconsciously, that it was their fault and there was something they could have done different. And with the exception of very high conflict relationship situations that is really that are really difficult for the kids, um, kids are often wanting their parents to get back together. Um, even as they get older, again, with the mm -hmm. exception of really awful where they're like, okay, I'm glad this thing is, is separating. So ideally it's together. Ideally you are emphasizing how much you both love your kids will always be there for them and that this has nothing to do with them. And you're probably going to have to repeat those things over and over and over. The other things to think about, particularly, you have to think about your kids' age. The yes. younger mm -hmm. the kids are, um, and actually, young, even to like middle school ish, the kids really need to know what it looks like. That it, so it, you want to make it less abstract. Right. We are both still going to see you all the time. We're going to have a schedule. You are going to know where you're going to be. Um, so-and-so is going to pick you up on these days. Um, you're going to spend time with this person on these days. Um, we can talk about how we want to spend these days. Again, it depends on your situation, but you want to give really concrete security because what happens is sometimes parents start to talk about their own process, which, which is important at, a, at the right time and with, again, the right kid at the right age. However, a lot of times it just comes down to safety and security. Who's going to yeah. take care of me? Where am I yeah. going to live? How is my life going to change? Yeah, absolutely. As you know, uh, I've got some experience with this and mm -hmm. you don't want to have any guesswork uh, mm -hmm. throughout, you know, post-divorce, right? I mean, from the divorce through the post-divorce, I mean, divorce is not a single moment in time. Divorce is a state right? That you are, mm -hmm. once you are divorced, you are divorced. And, you know, those initial conversations are, are very important. And I don't need to restate all the fantastic points that, that you brought up in terms of setting the expectations, making sure they know they are loved, making sure they know that they are in no way responsible and that divorce is something that happens between adults and because of adult relationships and adult feelings. Uh, mm -hmm. that, so that's all extremely important. And then how you like, talk about the other party in yes. the divorce uh, is going to be very important as well. Mm -hmm. You don't want to make any comments that are going to make your children feel like they have to you know, decide or pick a side. You know, there's a term mm -hmm. called um, called loyal called loyalty conflict, which can be very very damaging for a child and can really, really lead to a lot of problems with anxiety um, and depression if, if they are feeling like they have to figure out what parent they are, are loyal to. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that, you know, it's, it's you bashing your soon-to-be ex or saying negative things about them, but even, even small comments, you know, depending on the age, Kids are going to, again, take the information that's presented to them 
and they are going to draw, you know, their own conclusions or they're going to struggle with those conclusions. Mm -hmm. You know, even the mm -hmm. comment saying that your father is, is leaving, then they're going to start saying, okay, well, why is he leaving? Did mom do something wrong? Did he do something wrong? Is there something else going on? So again, mm -hmm. you, the language you use, uh, you're going to have to be um, very careful about mm -hmm. how you how you talk about um, just your your soon to be ex. Is, is how I will phrase that because again, it's easy, especially in a more contentious uh, divorce, to have those emotions, you know, mm -hmm. right at the top of the surface, uh, mm -hmm. and it's a challenge to have that filter, mm -hmm. uh, especially, you know, if something happens in the moment to be able to, uh, be as neutral, you know, in regards right. to the other party, you don't have right. to. And then on right. the other side of it too, if it is a high conflict, um, mm -hmm. divorce, you want to be careful about, about creating a fantasy that you and your ex are going to be great friends and you're going to be friends and have a mm, friendship. Yeah. Because yeah. in most cases, in, in my experience and what I've seen with, you know, some of my peers that you know, those great post-divorce friendships really are, are more of a rarity. They're a very fantastic, special thing, but they are, they seem to be more of a rarity. So I'm not saying that you have to say we're not going to be friends with right. your with your ex, uh, but don't use that as a as a cushion for the for that right. sort of the the pain of divorce. Um, and particularly, this is particularly for high conflict divorce. Yeah, right. Exactly. So mm -hmm. um, we the research has been clear for decades that child adjustment is not based on divorce or not divorce. It's based on the conflict of the parental relationship, whether together or apart. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. So, because a lot of people really, you know, understandably are concerned about breaking up a marriage because of the impact it has on the kids. And what we're really talking about is relationship and how um, kind and respectful versus how um, nasty and disrespectful um, it is in terms of the impact on the kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I, I want to add to what you're saying, Phil, is what gets dicey, and this is why at the beginning I didn't want to say yes or no, this is not black and white. As your kids yeah. are older, and particularly kids, even younger kids who are really bright and astute and intuitive, when the narrative doesn't match the reality, that also causes problems. And yeah. so yeah. this is more, I'm just putting this out there, not of like, here's what you do, putting this out there as here is a dilemma. When the reason for the divorce is due to someone's behavior or someone um, having an affair. And then the narrative is not to throw that parent under the bus and try to have, you know, and, and not have kids have to think something that they're not ready to be thinking about a parent or truly really comprehending. Right. And over time, as the kids again get older, things don't add up to them. And you're saying, and you're protecting the spouse that maybe, um, again, engaged in a behavior and, and things are not, again, black and white. So I'm not just like, yeah. things are complex. Yes. But yes. It, it then gets challenging when your kid is seeking truth 
And again, ideally, when your kid is seeking truth, which is different than the original narrative, which you put together for their age and their health, ideally, again, best case scenario, you're talking to the spouse and you're coordinating together about a way that this can be reconciled with respect and with both parties involved because sometimes the other the spouse who then is in question or behaviors in question might say you know what i'm going to have this conversation but this is really complex yeah it's it is it is you're going to have to really be adaptable because mm -hmm. the state of a divorce can change you could it's mm -hmm. going to start off amicable and become high conflict and it could start off high conflict and and ease out. So it's, yeah. again, just be kind to yourself, right? And, and be kind to your ex mm -hmm. that you may not want to be, but that's gonna, that's gonna help you, um, just avoid some of these common pitfalls that do end up leading toward, you know, anxiety for mm -hmm. your kids. Yeah. We could do a whole, you know, hour on yeah. this, on this yes. topic. Yes. <laughs> Okay, question number four, our fourth and final question. Dr. Dan, I do not want my in-laws to babysit our young children. They are in their 80s and not competent. Help, with an <laughs> exclamation point. <laughs> okay. Well, you got to trust your parental instincts. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, your spouse is on board with you so you can have a united front and a united right. strategy. This gets more dicey if your spouse or, you know, wants his or her parents to, um, <laughs> to watch the kids so you guys can go away or them have time with their grandkids. So I think you just, there's a couple ways of doing this. One is to be strategic and be, um, you know, dodge it. And you're, you're finding ways to not leave them alone or to have reasons that they're not going to be left alone. And you don't have them, you have them more frustrated with it, but without them knowing exactly why. Right. And then there is the harder in some ways and easier in other ways of just standing in your integrity and knowing and basically trying to have the conversation, which is, I, I just, don't feel comfortable um, leaving my kids. And you know, you, that one you can do two ways. One is you can blame yourself as a way, as an out for them. So you're not calling them out on their lack of ability. Yes. Uh, hey, this is my own thing. Um, I just don't feel comfortable. I'm going to work my way up to it. But right now I don't. <laughs> exactly. Right. Or you just have to say, we just don't feel comfortable because of A, B, and C. And again, yeah. I know that's dicey depending on who the parents are, their awareness right. of their areas of functioning or lack thereof. Right. But you right. got to trust yourself. 100%. That You know, you are your children's parents and go with that gut instinct and your gut is saying that you're not comfortable leaving them with your in-laws. Mm -hmm. and, and so that is the most important part of this equation. You know what you are not comfortable with. Right. And they will, no matter how you deliver that information, uh, they'll have to respect that. You know, they yeah. should respect that being that they were parents and, and that yeah. you are the parents to their grandchildren. Uh, they should hopefully try and respect that. But as Dr. Dan said, know your audience. Yeah. Uh, you, he gave a couple great routes you could go. I love the, you know, it's 
this is on me. I'm just, you know, I'm not comfortable right now, but I'm, you know, I'm working on it. Right. Yeah. So then it's not a absolutely, you know, this will never happen and it may never happen, but uh, it kind of, it softens the blow a little bit and um, leaves a little bit more open-ended in terms of their feelings on it. <laughs> and, I, and I was just thinking, I'm, I'm like smiling to myself. I'm just thinking <laughs> of the counter question for, for next show, which is the spouse or partner emails in, hey, I'm wanting to uh, have my kids be with my parents and my spouse or partner doesn't feel good about it and is anxious and... I want my parents and my kids to have this connection. What should I do? Right? Like there's so many sides to these things that we're talking about you guys. So it's easy when we only have one angle, right? We only can just take one angle, but everything is so layered. It's so layered. That's, that's life. That's parenting. That's being human. So many layers. Yes. Well, on that note, we got through it. That brings us to the end. Yeah. Um, Always so fun, so quick, and uh, this is yeah. our opportunity to engage with our amazing community. So thank you all. Um, thank you all for listening to our regular show every Thursday, Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. And we love this format, the sitting down with Dr. Dan. Um, Phil and I and Laura and I, our producer, we just we look forward to these every month. We do. Being able to, uh, you know, a, a wish is, is we have someone live feed in one day. Right where we actually yes. can engage, we just we just love that engagement. So keep sending them, everyone. Keep listening. Thanks for all your five star reviews and being a part of our amazing community. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become, and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day: What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Mountain Spring High, composed and performed by Gabriel Lewis. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.